Amen. Thank you. Praise God. suppose that this series is going to be a series with a little bit of a difference in that it addresses us as a church and addresses the disciples, the cell leaders, and leaders generally speaking. There's a lot of naivety surrounding what it takes to plant a church or to run a church or to lead a church. Churches are huge organizations, you know. Even a small church is enough to wear someone out, you know. They reckon about 30 people is as much as one person can cope with. And I'd say that's a lot, you know. 30 people is a lot for one person to cope with because lives are diverse and you have problems and all kinds of things. But the running of a church, for instance, involves pastoral care, evangelism, worship, children, youth, finances, buildings, the elderly, prayer, discipleship, and on and on it goes. And even more so today, it, it involves legalities. And just getting through the, the maze of legal requirements now is enough to really set you back and to busy all your time. So churches are, are, are not simple. And at different stages of any church's growth from the planting to its maturity, you'll need to focus on some of those things I've just listed. However, there are three things that should never be off the agenda of any church. And they are prayer, discipleship, and evangelism. If these are not sort of consistently a focus, then that church will fail. Now, of course, they're the, actually the same three that, that get a church started. One of the problems is churches have a nasty habit of separating these ministries out. Listen carefully, folks. So that the, the prayer becomes a meeting. The prayer becomes the prayer group. Instead of something the church does. The evangelism becomes the evangelism team. And of these three, and don't get robbed, remember? Some of you get ripped off every day from your eternal reward. Like candy off a baby. We fail to see our task, the great honor that's given to us. Prayer, discipleship, and evangelism should not be separate meetings or separate groups in any church. That was never God's design. And your life will not function appropriately or well if you're not engaged in all three of those. So don't answer out loud. But tell me, are you? Are you actively engaged in prayer? Prophetically knowing where God is leading your prayer life? Do you have a discipler? Are you engaged you know, in the discipleship program of this church? Or are you, you know, shying away from that? And what about evangelism? Is that something that you see for others? You can't afford to let that happen. Okay, so who's this series for? Well, really, it's for just about everybody. If you're going to plant a new church, this is definitely for you. Because you can start right. You can start out well. Or maybe you could be in a church where you've ground to a halt. Because many churches stall, you know. They get so far. And then they stall. Well, you need to re... These are problems the reason why your church is stalled. A failure in prayer. A failure in evangelism. Or a failure in discipleship. So let, we're going to focus on these. First of all, today we're going to look at prayer. And see how you can incorporate it in your life. Just because a church is stalled doesn't mean it's a bad church. And I'm sure all of you can think over the years, you can think of churches that you have known where they maybe grew from 100 to 200 to 300, and then maybe they stalled. And when a church does that, just listen to the body of Christ. 
and how they run that church into the ground. That's what happens. You know, we were actually traveling through a junction and I was about three or four cars ago, you know, and traveling through a junction and the car stalled. Now, it's a perfectly good car. It's a pretty new car. And we, we, we halted right in the middle of a busy junction. I thought, oh no, and I, <laughs> I got out and I thought, I don't know what's wrong. And one thing I noticed was the public gave me no grace. Now move! <laughs> Get that heap of scrap off the road. It's not a heap of scrap. There's just some minor problem. It's all right, I'll fix it. But how quick people are, you know, from hero to zero sort of thing. How quick the masses are to condemn you. And many churches, you out there, many churches, they stall, they falter, they fail. And how quick people are to turn and walk away. Well, shame on you. Because it's part of life. It's part of growth. What child learns to walk without tripping over? No one. And churches are the same. So don't condemn a church that's grown to a degree or to a level and then falters or slips. Help that church up. Anybody, any fool can run the church down. But it takes a man of God and a woman of God to build it up. Someone who sees it differently. Someone with a heart after God. And I hope that's you. So let's be of those in the edifying nature, right? So who's this series for? It's for if you're planting a brand, a brand new church is definitely for you. If you're a church that's faltered or failed, then it's definitely for you. And you can reincorporate these basics back into church life, which are probably the reason why you have failed. This is a church with huge momentum. We've got great, great momentum in loads of the departments throughout the church. But you've got to be careful of that. Because a church with momentum looks better than it is. And a church without momentum looks worse than it is. Just like us stuck in the middle of that junction. People would automatically just run you into the ground. Hang on a minute. I'm fine, thanks. It's just a small problem. And you've got to be careful in both sides. If you stall as a church, that's okay. Car stall. Just fix it. And keep right on going. Churches with momentum like us have got to be careful. Because often you can look better than you are. You can feel you're doing better than you actually are. And churches without momentum or that have stalled or lost their momentum, don't write yourself off. But rather find out what needs fixing and put it right. Okay? So we're going to look at these three. We're going to start today by looking at the issue of prayer and how prayer is a fundamental for all of us. The first thing I would say about prayer, folks, value it. Cell leaders, disciples, those of you here, Please value prayer. Value prayer. Put prayer very high on your agenda. And be a model for those who follow you, those who are in your cell group or whatever, so that they can see that you actually believe that this is, you know, central to your Christian life. And to those pastors out there around the world, let me tell you this. If you don't make prayer central in your life, see, there's two ways you can pastor. You can spend your life running after the sheep and tending them. And then your church will stay about 30 and you may die of a heart attack. Because you can't. I say, I repeat, about 30 people, they estimate, is just about as much as you can cope with. So how on earth are we going to cope with 100 or 200? So my point is, there's two ways of pastoring. 
You can try and do everything, or you can turn your sheep to Jesus and show them that in prayer, you see, one minute with Jesus Christ is better than all of their lives with you, amen, with me. That's not, that's, that's, it's not where it's at. So turn your disciples to God. Show them the place where they can be edified. He is a mighty counselor. Connect them with him. And don't wear yourself out because it's an absolute dead end. It will not happen, you know. They estimate that Jesus spent his time like this. 50% of his time was spent in prayer, private prayer. So he would be up a mountain. They couldn't find him or whatever. 30% of his time was spent teaching his disciples, praying with his disciples. And 20% of his time was spent in public ministry. Now, I can tell you from experience, friends, that generally the masses, churches, don't like those statistics. They want you to do 50% in public. The devil wants your private time with God to destroy your intimacy with him. Because on that, everything is built. Everything is built. Everything that lasts. And Jesus didn't read Mark chapter 1 where they were calling him for more public time. Come, Jesus. They've come from all over the city. And Jesus turns and says, no. He had his priorities right. And that is why he succeeded. Now, it's no different in a smaller scale. Your life is just a microcosm of his, if you like. And you need to follow these same principles. Ready, steady, go. We get ready in prayer. We get steady through discipleship. Right? And we get to go in evangelism. So follow that same structure largely in your life and you'll see the same type of stability he did. These are basic things. But I tell you, friends, it is the basics that stop us. It's the basics that trip us up. I played snooker for years intensely. I loved it, you know. And one of the things I would say about snooker, you know Stephen Henry or Steve Davis, the best snooker players in the world? Do you know why they're the best snooker players in the world? Because they stick to the basics. They're simply people who practice the basics more than anybody else. They're not looking at trick shots or fancy things. They're people who spend day after day sticking to the basics. In fact, snooker's got five basic principles. You've got to have your arm action right. You've got to move like a pivot. You've got to have your head dead straight behind that. You've got to have your foot. You might not realize, but your foot has got to be at the same angle as the cue. Right? You've got to strike the ball cleanly. You've got to follow through. There's basic principles. Stephen Henry is not the best snooker player in the world because of something I don't know. He's the best snooker player in the world because he does those things. That's all. I already know those principles, right? And it's the same in prayer, the same for churches. It's very simple, isn't it? Basic things are what the Christian life is built on. Jesus said this, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Nice and basic. Now, we are that house, by the way. We're temples. The temple structure in the Old Testament, you know it, right? Adam and Eve fall, and the Holy Ghost, if you like, pulls back from the earth. There's a rift between man and God. And God sets up the temple structure the Old Testament temple structure where there would be blood that would flow to bridge that gap. And he accepted that as a temporary measure. And all of that was set up in the Old Testament temple so that the Holy Ghost 
could come into the temple and the high priest would go in and they would pray. Right? And that whole that system is long gone. And now in the New Testament, we are that temple and the same Holy Spirit roams throughout the earth looking for a temple to pray in. And here this morning, right now, the Holy Ghost is looking for people, God's children, who He has washed clean with His blood, made acceptable with the blood of Jesus, so that you can be used of God. And that has got to be our goal. Jeanette had a word a few weeks back. Cleanse the temple. Cleanse the temple. She told me several times, there's a word there, amen. There's a word right here for us, guys. That our temples would be ready. You know, if I go to Buckingham Palace and I say I want to talk to the Queen, they're going to say no. If I go to the White House and say I want to talk to Barack, you know, they're going to say no because I'm not going through anybody. There's a way to go about these things, right? And it's the same with God. As a natural person, you don't have a right to talk to God. You're not going to get through. I don't have a right to talk to God. And prayer actually has a very good structure. Now, if you knew Prince Charles, he might be able to get you through to the Queen. And it's the same with God. We can think that prayer's got no form or no structure. Prayer most definitely has a structure. Prayer is to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. And you can see this again and again right throughout Scripture. It's all prayer is to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. And that's our goal. Our goal both personally, for your private prayer life, and also collectively. I think back about oh, four all-nighters ago, or five all-nighters ago, Pastor Fred's church was downstairs, we were upstairs, and we were all praying, and everything was going fine. And it got to about half past two in the night. There was about 70, 80 people up here, uh, but the same downstairs, and people were just mingling. All of a sudden, everything changed. Everybody started, the sleepy people got up, you know, and started moving around and praying, and everybody was praying. And I remember looking thinking, whoa, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came in and descended upon everybody. That prayer went on without any other leadership, any human leadership, and the whole group prayed and prayed for about an hour. Later in the night, Pastor Fred came up and said, Hey, all our people just started praying. I said, Yeah, amen. Same thing upstairs. The Holy Ghost was able to come in and use us as a temple. That's our goal. That's your goal at home. That's our goal in our prayer meetings as a church. Same as what happened Jesus. Jesus presented, if you like, his temple to God his Father. Right? Remember, Lord Jesus Christ. And he really became the Christ, which means the anointed one, when the Holy Ghost came on him. So he's the Lord. He's the eternal Son of God, right? He's Jesus, the human Jesus, that came as a sacrifice for your sin. But he's the Christ. And he became that anointed one at his baptism, right? The Holy Spirit came upon him. And there he was, fit for ministry. Now for us, what it means is cleanse the temple. Get your vessel ready for use in the kingdom. Primary, right? Isn't it? Basic, an absolute basic, that you would be a home for the Holy Ghost. A place where God could give you words, speak to you, and use your vessel to pray. Amen? Amen. 
going to ask two simple questions this morning. How do we pray and when do we pray? Well, how we pray, there's a very good acronym there in Acts. How do we pray? Jesus, when he gave them the Our Father, if you remember, he went through certain steps in that. It's a great prayer to study. And he gave them the Our Father in response to their question, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is the step-by-step process that Jesus took them through. So you would do well, and I would do well to heed this advice. So you say, I say to Jesus this morning, Lord, teach me how to pray. God, show us how to pray. Let's get back to basics a minute. And Jesus says, okay, first and foremost, you enter his gates with praise and worship God. Recognize him for who he is and for what he has done. Next, if you've got any, then followed by confession. Just read the Our Father. If there's anything that you're holding back, if there's anything you're hiding, just like children do, they pretend there's nothing wrong. And you can't enter the presence of God like that. It's duplicitous, right? And God doesn't want you to try and live like that. It creates a, 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 a mask with you. So worship him. Bring all that you are, the real you, and present that before me. Confess your sin. He is a good God, faithful and true, and will forgive you. But don't be a double agent. Enter his courts with adoration and praise. Confess your sins. Remember to keep a a, a grateful heart. Very important, that one. You know how ungrateful kids can be. Take, 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 take. I want, I want, I want. Don't get like that. So when you enter his courts, come with thanksgiving. And then we'll get to supplication. So Jesus took them through a very simple step-by-step process. And this is something we should really, you know, start our day with. Sex, so that's uh, how we pray. What about when we pray? Very important. And this list is just vital for us, folks. When should we pray? Take a look at these two people, Mr. A and Mr. B. Mr. A, he's an upside-down triangle, okay? Mr. A doesn't do very much praying in private, hardly any. He's okay with his family, a little bit more, but he does most of his praying in public. As soon as the prayer meeting starts, he's the one that's going to pray. Pray, pray, pray. But most of it's for show and most of it's in public. Family less and private, hardly any. That triangle is upside down because such a life is unstable. It's got no foundation. Mr. B, he's the complete reverse. He does a lot of private prayer, spends time with God. He also gives time to his family. And of course, he'll pray in church or at the prayer meeting. I want you to see that private prayer is the basis of everything, just as it was 50, 30, 20. Right? Private prayer is the basis. It's that which we live out of. And when you've got that relationship with God, not only can God speak to you, but as we saw in 1 John last week, you can also bring your request to God because your heart does not condemn you. And you can ask from Him anything you wish. Fantastic scripture. Having a relationship with God that's connected to Him, and it's a dialogue, not a monologue. What a life. What a life. And how tragic it is if you as an individual lose that 
or if churches lose it because they disrespect it because it's a basic people get on the tip want to do trick shots you know never mind the trick shots just get the basics right and if only we would get close to Jesus hear him worship him and listen let the Holy Spirit use your temple wonderful thing about prayer you never have to say there's nothing you can do there's never a time in life no matter what the circumstance or what the situation there's never a moment when you have to say there's nothing I can do because there's always something you can do Jeanette was insulted and hurt so badly once in the church this individual really, really wounded her deeply, you know. Some people can just be, wow, hurt and struggling at the back of the church. Everybody had gone and I was letting her just lick her wounds a moment and settle down. And I went up slowly to her. I said, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jeanette, about what's just happened? And she was angry, frustrated, hurt, sad, all those mixed emotions and she stood up you see the flesh rising up a little bit and the spirit rising up a little bit and she said I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I thought you're gonna hit her no I'm gonna I'm gonna pray how are you you got the right one chose the right one so many options my flesh wants to hit back I want revenge you not do nothing you're gonna do something just make sure it's the right thing you can pray. Any situation, any moment. I remember a terrible time for me. I was moving from one church to another. And one group of elders were currently overseeing me. And I was going to another group. And I was switching churches. And there was no time gap in the middle. And I was exhausted. And I said to my home group, I said, can I have three months off between the move of the churches? I need it. They thought about it. And they said, no, you can't. Not our side. You'll have to go to them and ask them. But definitely not with us. So I'll go to the other guys. I said, can I have three months off? They thought about it. No, sorry, you can't. Are you sure? Yeah, are you sure? No time off there. 50, 30, 20. If I go in here, it's not right, man. I'm not ready for this job. I'm not ready for this task. I need time. And there was the final night where both groups were meeting, both sets of elders. And I remember pulling over in a little lay-by on my way to that meeting. And I turned, I turned, there's always something you can do. I turned to God. I said, God, would you help me? Would you speak to the chief elder? Would you speak to him and tell him, I need a break. I need those three months. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. I go into the meeting. Everybody arrives, and this actually chief guy didn't arrive. He was the last man in. And he came in with his bits of paper and his Bible. He walked in, and he sort of dominated the middle of the room and said, Listen, everybody, before we start the meeting, I've got something very important to say. I have heard from God, and he is to have three months off. You can disagree, but it's wrong. And he was scared. I said, Okay, okay, if it's that serious. I thought, Thank you, Lord. There's always something you can do. When the doctor says you've got cancer, Oh, there's nothing they can do. <laughs> but there's something you can do. You can do what hundreds of thousands of people before you have done. You can pray and receive a miracle. You know, goodness is in the heart of God. He's bursting to get it out. Bursting to get it into your life. Remember David. David sitting on his throne. He couldn't sit at peace. Remember? David's an image of God. 
Remember David? What was he saying? I want to do good. I want to do good. Who can I bless? You see? And you can make that connection with God through your faith, through prayer. So first and foremost, prayer is private. And if it's not private, it's nothing. It's a clanging symbol. There's nothing to it. There's no content. Secondly, prayer is with your family. And I, to be honest, folks, I pity the family whose father does not lead them in prayer. God blessed us with a good dad. My dad led us in the, in the most difficult of circumstances, in a war zone. And he would bring us to pray every night, you know. Prayer as a family is a crucial thing. One of the worst things the church ever did was formalize communion. They formalized communion and made it a weekly or a monthly event at the church. Communion should be in your home. Husband giving communion to your wife. Where it originated in the book of Acts. Daily they met in each other's homes. And one of the beginnings of the breakdown of family life is formalizing communion and having it in the church. And, you know, formalizing our prayer, if you like. So the husband stops praying, stops reminding his wife of the covenant. And the whole thing starts to fall apart. Institute communion in your family life. Amen. And pray together. I pity the home in which the man does not lead that home. May God have mercy on you. And I say to you, fathers, state a prayer time. And it doesn't matter if they don't come. That's not your fault or your responsibility as such. You just let your family know. Each day at this time, I will be praying. And you can come and join me. Right? You should do it. We need to do it. It's, it's crucial. So first of all, private. Then prayer is as a family. And thirdly, prayer is as a church. Now I remind you again, because I think we need reminding, church prayer is not private prayer. Church prayer is not family prayer. I don't know about you, but I personally cannot afford to miss the church prayer meeting. I can't. Do you know what? If I miss Friday... I'm going to be out of the spirit on Saturday. Do you know what I mean? It's not quite the same. Little things will start annoying me. Because not being present in Friday, if I, if I can be, if you're busy, it's no problem. If you're working or whatever. But I mean, if you can be, you need to be at the gathering of the people. Because it's not your private prayer. It's not your family prayer. The church prayer meeting is a completely different thing. It's a place of real business in the heavenly realms. It's a place... Look. If there was a great big box here, too heavy for one person to lift, and I spent my whole life trying to shift it, wouldn't I be stupid? What would you do? Ask for help. Very simple. But I have met countless believers, and they come to you with tears flowing, and they say, oh, I've been praying for so-and-so for ten years, and I can't seem to shift it. Did you ever... Bring it to the church? Bring it to the church? No. Well, what's the prayer meeting for then? There's your private prayer. It's a different thing. But on Friday night in here, we come together and we pray together. And when you do that, you've got more power, more breakthrough power. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand. And if you're struggling with any issue and you know it's God's will for the salvation of this one or whatever... Bring it to the church. Get the mic. Get up here. And start, you know, to pray together. Remember the invalid that they brought to Jesus. How many people did it take? Four. 
Here was someone needed a miracle, but one person couldn't do it. One person wasn't enough. It took a, a combined effort. And so it is with a church prayer meeting. I guarantee you folks, some of you have been struggling with the same issues for years. And the only point is, you don't see. Bring it to the church. Humble yourself. Come forward. Acknowledge your need of one another. Next, there's leaders prayer. We meet every Sunday morning in here, very early. I know it's a long day. That's part of the sacrifice of, of that position, right? But leaders prayer is a very different thing because in that you'll get you know, prophecy, you'll hear from God, and God can give guidance to you as a leader, but also to the church. And then there's all night prayer. Next Friday, right? Next Friday, half past seven, you meet here. And if you've never done an all-nighter or been, come. Make this your first. Well, you decide to come to the church and pray right throughout the night. And I'm telling you, folks, things will change in you by praying all night that will never change, in my opinion, with daytime prayer. There is a reason. I will protect you from the sun by day and the moon by night, Jesus says. Different spirits, you see. We won't go into it this morning, but there's a moon God, you know. There's all sorts of spiritual dynamics behind these things. And that's what changed me. I've told you before. I profoundly changed as a person. I profoundly changed as a person in an all-night prayer meeting. I was very legalistic, very religious. And in about five o'clock one morning, bang. And you can ask close friends of mine who will say, you were never the same. From That's right, I was not. I changed for the better, much, much for the better. All-nighters will change you. And you need to t- you know, grow up and take that step. You don't have to do it every Friday. But I do believe we need to do it on a regular basis. One of our viewers in South Africa has actually been emailing me on a regular basis about this subject. And I just think, his, I like his emails because I think they're very good, very spiritual. He's a prayer. He's actually a street preacher, leader of a street preaching organization in South Africa. And he was saying about the last days. He's following the end time series. And I thought his point was very significant. He was saying, if we think that we can just pray in the last days, we're kidding ourselves. We've got to pray and fast. Pray and fast. Sharpen up your spirit. Because I tell you one thing, the devil will be sharpening his. Right? We do have an active foe. So we've got to get sharper. And indeed, in this coming week, why not fast? Take a day, take two days, take three. And fast. And get your spirit. It just decreases the flesh, you know? And get your spirit in tune with God. Then there's specific intercessions. Specific intercessions basically are when you've got something on your heart that you want to target, like Daniel with his 21 days, you know, from the day you set your heart, but there was resistance. And we need to gather together. Maybe you've got something that you know is God's will. Well, it may take intercession to do it. That's what it might take. It might not happen in a day or two or three. But specific intercessions concern things that we know are God's will and the devil opposes And then we put on our armor and we see it through. You know, wonderful thing about these, Jesus healed many people. But you notice the stories that are recorded in the Bible? You know, like Bartimaeus or whatever. They record the people who are named. You notice the difference in them? He didn't go to them. He didn't go to any of them. They all sort of called him, Jesus! Jesus! Intercession. I'm not letting go! I get healed! Jesus! No fear. Hallelujah. 
All people who knew how to get a hold of God, even when others were telling them to be quiet, that's intercession. Intercession is really aggressive prayer. When you know that you know, something is God's will in your life and you're not going to back off until you get it. So, we start today a series called Ready, Steady, Go, focusing at first on your prayer life. Then we're going to look at discipleship and then we're going to look at evangelism. But to begin with this morning, take that list home and particularly the second part of it and think, invite the worship team back please. Think about your private prayer. How is it? Think about your family prayer. If you don't have family prayer, please start it. You need to. Think about your attendance in church prayer meetings. You need the church around you, friend. Everybody does. God has not left you alone. And if you feel lonely, you don't need to be. Just come in, right? Leaders need to be in leaders' prayer, obviously. And make next Friday night. Maybe it's the first time you've ever done that. Do it. Step out of the boat. Amen? Let's stand. Thank you. I just want to open up and maybe one or two if you want to pray out and ask God to, 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 to reignite your prayer life in any area, privately, as a family. Just one or two of you pray out, please. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.